Welcome back, friends. We are excited to have you join us for episode 64 of the Shuttle Pod. My name is Jared. I am here with the Trek movie glitterati, namely my friend Brian. <laughs> oh, did you like that? Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, good. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Uh, and my friend Kayla. Hey, everyone. And then, of course, my friend Matt Wright. Hey, guys. We appreciate you welcoming us back into your home or work environment or the gym or your car, wherever you're listening to us. Thanks for uh, helping the shuttle pod be successful and for uh, letting us be a part of your lives. Yeah. We have we have a, a, a very fun uh, topic tonight. This is something we've been looking forward to for about a year, if I can be honest, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- mm-hmm. This is we've been talking about this for a while. Yeah. We we've wanted to do one about the the Orville, which is is Fox's sort of loving homage to Star Trek, uh, thanks to Seth MacFarlane and his fandom and his star power. The second season of the Orville is going to start on December thirtieth, and so hopefully this is this is very timely for that. Or after you've watched some episodes of the Orville in February, you've gone back and said, "Hey, I wonder what the Shuttlepod crew had to say about that." Anyway, so this is going to be basically our summary of the first season. I don't think we have any special insight into season two, but we definitely wanted to get this out there before the season started. So we, we've, we've got some, some top-line issues or themes we wanted to go through, and then maybe we'll drill down deeper into some individual episodes. But mm-hmm. uh, I guess what are, what are people's general thoughts? Let's start with that. If you had to write on a 3 by 5 card what you thought of the Orville, what would you say, Kayla? Um, I would say, I mean, the first thing I would highlight is like the really strong connection to Star Trek, particularly Berman era, particularly TNG. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. It's very hard to miss. It's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there are so many connections, not only with um, the cast and crew of the show, but also, I mean, just like looking at the production design, it seems yeah. very, very clear that it's like a mm-hmm. modernized twist. But they even have like the same kind of carpet and stuff like oh, wow. it's very much like the first time i was watching it harkens back to tng so i mean very yes. and like you said it's an homage it very much to me feels like a love letter to the next generation yeah yeah oh very much so i mean all i would add i guess is that what you know is i think pretty obvious to anyone who's seen the show um is that it's departure from the next generation is that injects quite a bit more humor into it and i think something that Mm. we're going to want to talk about um in this podcast is like how well the orville has done that balancing real Mm -hmm. science fiction stories with real sci-fi meat and ethics and morals with goofy humor and how well the you know how well those two fit into the same universe Mm -hmm. okay excellent thanks for setting the stage uh, Brian, what what are your top, what's your top line reaction to the show? Um, I enjoy the show. It's definitely TNG flavored, but it's a lighthearted version. It's basically a Star Trek show that doesn't take itself all too seriously. Hmm. Well put, well put. It, like yeah, that. yeah. It, it knows how to you know laugh a little bit. I mean, we we did, obviously did our recent comedy episode and. Star Trek has definitely had some lighthearted moments. Most of them, though, contained in the original series. As Star Trek yeah. has gone on, I think it's gotten a little more serious and too kind of consumed with the idea that it's Star Trek and that it has to be <laughs> yeah. serious. You know what I mean? I, yes. I do think it's fallen into that trap at some, some certain points. The Orville doesn't have that baggage. 
it wants to be an homage to Trek, but it doesn't have to be Trek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. yeah. There's there's none of the weight behind it. Yeah, so it really, it's a fun little romp every week. They they do some really good sci-fi, and they constantly leaven it with with some comedy. You know how well they do with the comedy sometimes is debatable. Yeah, I mean earlier, I think earlier in the show's run, it was a bit awkward. And they didn't quite make the transition sometimes from serious moments to comedy. But that's tricky stuff to do. I mean, the best example of that, I think, that anybody's ever seen was MASH. Oh, oh sure. yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Yes. And MASH did it so well that you didn't even notice they were doing it half the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But t- um, toward, toward the end where sometimes it became a little bit too maudlin for some people. Yeah, but... but for most of MASH's run, it would vacillate between drama and comedy. And, you know, I think at the beginning of that show, even it took them a little while to find the, the, the right blend. And it took the Orville a little time, too. Yeah. I think at the beginning, at the beginning, the first three or four episodes, they would kind of slip in humor or, or a dramatic moment right on top of one another yeah it felt a little forced every once in a while in the earlier yeah and there would be no transition from one to the other it would just be like this jarring thing sure i mean it's it's and and the thing is they freely acknowledged it was an experiment and they're working yes it it was very obvious it was they were experimenting to see what worked and what didn't yeah and so i think by the end of the season they they had started to get it Mm -hmm, i agree and and that's the the thing that I feel best about the orville is i feel like it it is pointed in the right direction and has good momentum Right. Mm-hmm. So there, there's some things that there's some episodes maybe I didn't care for. There's some things that, that we could all nitpick. But that feeling of of we're pointed where we're supposed to be and, and the best is still to come. That's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I mean, one of the agree. things I've always wondered about with the show Firefly is if it had been on for four years, Ugh, would yeah. we look back yeah. and say, oh, that first season is so bad. Or would we look back and say, oh, gosh, they really jumped the shark in season two. <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. It's hard to say, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that that was that you can make that argument about the original series too. I mean, had T- TOS gotten renewed for a fourth year, it might have gotten really bad. It might have. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. You know what I mean? Like Star Trek got off the air before it really went to hell. Yeah. I mean, season three was already kind of oof. Right, but but the, but I, I remember Leonard Nimoy being saying he was scared at one point that they might actually renew the show. Oh wow! <laughs> to play the character for no, because this, it was sliding down that badly. Yeah. So yeah, you, you don't want to stay. Yeah, sometimes it's best to get off the stage. Yeah, leave them wanting no, you know when to get off. Which, yeah, which, know when to get off. The which stage. is the challenge of any profit-driven long-form narrative is there's an incentive to go as long as you can, right? Yep. Anyway, so Matt, Matt, what's your top line reaction to the Orville? Uh, well, it's hard to compete with what these guys said, but I just generally liked it. I thought, um, as a fan of uh, earlier Family Guy, that was actually good before it sort of slipped into mediocrity. You know, I it, the the comedy doesn't really bother me. Some people feel like their sci-fi must be serious, and so it bothered them. I think a lot. Okay. And this never bothered me too much, and I enjoyed it, you know, all the way through. But like the other guys have said, it was a little rough in spots in the beginning, and then they really got their groove going by the end of the season. Yeah, I'd have to say I was pretty impressed, actually, by how quickly I felt that they hit their stride. It felt like it was a nice... Um, 
it was a nice progression in terms of you could see them getting better and better as they went on. Like I would say the weakest episode was the first and probably the strongest was the last. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well that's, I would, I would, I would, I would agree that. with that. Wow. That's, yeah. yeah. That's the, that's the right kind of direction. I'm sure any creator would like to hear. Yeah, exactly. Like the, I was actually, I was really looking forward to the Orville coming out. Um, I really like Seth MacFarlane. I like his humor, despite the way that, and we can talk about more about this, but despite the way that it was sort of marketed as the humor was all like poop and fart jokes, which I'm not yes. a huge fan of. I, I actually right. really like Seth MacFarlane. I love his love of Trek and you know, I loved what he was doing and I'm, you know, I love TNG. So I'm like, yeah, I'm all for this. Let's do it. Yep. Um, and yep. I was, I have to say, I was like, actually like kind of disappointed after the first episode because I didn't think it was very good and it felt very much like a pilot right where it's just like here's character a and here's character b and here's the kooky one and here's this other dude and like there was nothing mm-hmm. i don't know it just felt like completely flat and like soulless and then but by the next couple episodes were like steadily getting better so i'm so glad i gave it a chance after watching the pilot okay let me ask you this question about the pilot i'm glad you bring this up because i wanted to ask somebody did because i was only able to rewatch about three episodes and the pilot was one of them do we feel that it would have been been better to do a two-hour pilot like we were accustomed like we're accustomed seeing on star trek no or... no not at okay. all okay here here's why here's why they were already um trying to figure out an hour pacing for an hour because a lot of these guys came from a half hour comedy background sure they were already working out the feel and feeling around how to do an hour you should not make them do 90 minutes, which of course is what it would be without. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, it's just not fair. Like they're trying yeah. to figure it out. A good point. I don't, I don't think we would have gotten a good product out of it. So okay. think, yeah. you know, you know I mean? that's, that's yeah. a criticism that's been made of the uh, TNG movies is you had these guys who were accustomed to writing one hour TV shows. And then all of a sudden they're being assigned to write yeah. in a medium. They're and not got a stretch basically. And, uh, yeah. They yeah. got to fill it. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I think it was fine that they did that. It's because, you know, this is a process, as we know, week after week as they write the scripts and then cast the actors and then work with the actors like on set, things change. People embody the characters differently than maybe was envisioned when they wrote. Because, you know, how how TV production works, they usually write about four scripts to get get the series going. And so you can see like they wrote those like ahead of time. So like they, they didn't necessarily I mean, sometimes they have people in mind. Right. But like they didn't necessarily know you know, who all these actors were, were that were going to fill the roles. And so you can just see that, you know, over time, this is true of all TV shows, shows really, they start to find a nice middle ground with the sort of give and take between the actor's performance and how you yep. write for them and, you know. Mm-hmm. And something that's remarkable to me about this um, upward slope in the quality is it's not as though they shot half of them and aired them and then took a hiatus and got feedback from the fans and read stuff on the internet and then came back and did the nope. other half. They did it all. They did it all at one go. Right. So yeah, that Im- that improvement is in a lacuna of feedback from people like us. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. They made a go of it. Like last and like all, they just shot their butts off. Basically, I think May and June and July last year and went for it. Yeah, so. I also I also have to say I feel as far as the actors are are concerned, I feel like they all. Um, hit their strides pretty quickly. I don't, I don't feel like, like in the early ones, any of them are struggling. Yeah, they all fall no, into the characters uh, yeah. pretty quickly. No. Yeah, yeah, I think and, they and one thing that was very interesting to see is, obviously, this is Seth MacFarlane vehicle, 
<clears throat> pardon me, but he doesn't hog the camera. Oh, good he, point. Yeah. Yeah, he, he doesn't. Each one of the, at least for the first four or five episodes, maybe even more, there's a different focus on a ca- different character each week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's not, like, he's more the center in the first episode, obviously. And sure. then after that, it, you know. Yeah, that's true. They shared the wealth, and that's unusual to see. Yeah, it actually is more of an ensemble than other shows. It is. The, it is. The other thing that's interesting with regards to that is his real skill, in my opinion, is as a voice actor. Yes. Like, yes. I, I, I have never been a huge Family Guy fan, but, like, listening to Peter Griffith just makes me feel like my brain is getting tickled. It's so funny the way he rattles off that weird <laughs> accent so fast, right? And given that it would have been, and given that this is a science fiction show, it would have been really easy for him to um, do other characters as, as, as do the voices for them, whether they're like CGI aliens or or like admirals we see off screen or somebody who's in heavy makeup. It would have been really easy for him to do that to try to do like a one man band type of thing. And maybe they will in the future, but the fact that they haven't, I think, also speaks to that kind of restraint. Because like a yeah, Family I think, Guy, I think he, mm, yeah. he does he does Peter, Brian, and Quagmire, and maybe a couple others. And Stewie. And Stewie, and Stewie of course. Yeah, so that's half the cast right there. Right, yeah. but of course, this is live action. This is a different genre. And, yeah. and you know, to his credit, he knows that. And he knows he needs to surround himself with strong actors around him who are li- live action actors, because he's yeah. not mm-hmm. very much. Mm-hmm. And I think that's to his credit. Let's, uh, let's talk about... Uh, Ed Mercer is a character because, and this is related to to Seth MacFarlane as the leading. Sure, man. but yeah. what what do we think about Ed? I think he's I like Ed. Yeah, he, I think he's likable. He's sort of a. I think one of the nice twists is that he's far from a leading flagship captain, and the, the yeah. Orville is not a flagship. Sure, yeah. it's mid it's mid level, mm-hmm. and he he's a guy that you know is is kind of a you know he's kind of an everyday captain so to speak which is yeah, really sort of is. funny he... to say but true we all yeah i mean these are the captains that we know are out there like for to you know to sort of take it back to a trek place for a minute these are the captains we know mm-hmm. are out there somewhere right we just yeah. don't really see them very often sure. yep. right so he's he's that guy and i think that's an interesting point of view yeah. and i generally yeah, he's the like captain that. you can have a beer with mm. for sure yeah and, and, and they do. They show it a few times. <laughs> my yep. my one of my favorite scenes with Ed is the episode where he goes uh, to Bortus and his, uh, Bortus uh, Bortus's mate. I can't remember his name. Uh, to their to their um, living quarters, and they play that game where they're like tossing a <laughs> yeah. pineapple to yeah. each other. Yeah. And he's like, hey, this is fun. And then it stabs him in the hand, right? <laughs> yeah. And and I love the next line is it's all ba- his hand is all bandaged up. And he says, apparently I won, right? I just, <laughs> that was a very fun little moment of showing him yeah. uh, after hours is being being a little different. Well, yeah. I, I, yep. I really love some of the humor that they do in Orville, which is sort of lovingly poking fun at Star Trek. And it's like those kind of moments where he's like going from door to door, like looking for someone to get a beer with and everyone has a different excuse. But then there are also like really clear call outs to silly things that happened in Next Generation or, you know, in all of Star Trek that um, they kind of like put a real life twist on it and make it not quite work the way you're supposed to. Like, um, for example, in I think, gosh, was this in the, I think this might've been in the episode Krill, which was like the midway through the season one 
um, they're hailing. He's like, hail that. He's like, hail that ship. And then he just starts talking like, you know, dear curl vessel, this is so. And then um, the the person who's hailing the ship was like, oh, oh, actually, I hadn't I hadn't done it yet. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. yes, okay, yes, that's right. Yes. Okay, now, now, now you're on. Yeah. Now you're on. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah Laura. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, like, just later in that same scene, they get hit with weapons discharge, and they there's like a fire that starts on one of the panels, and uh-huh. uh, Captain Mercer's like, "Put that fire out! What happened to the automatic fire suppression system?" And Alara goes, "It was in the panel that caught fire." <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like I love that like direct it's like directly poking fun at Star Trek like what happened to the fire suppression system sure. like why yeah, is there yeah. a fire <laughs> yeah yep. why, why does manual override never work <laughs> right. right yeah yeah right. And, and yet by the same token I think to its credit it could really go overboard with that kind of thing and I feel like it hasn't right yeah um, it's they, peppered they do, in nicely they, they do another sort of funny like view screen joke that's oh, a that's, more on the that, nose that's, I love that the, joke yeah, I love that in the, in the pilot in the pilot yeah. episode and you know, again, this is one of those tropes, right? That everyone is perfectly centered uh-huh. and can right. see at the, <laughs> yeah. see see who you need and what you need exactly uh-huh. when you need it, right? Right. Exactly. For the plot. And so insta- yeah. right for the plot, and so instead, like you know, he hails this krill ship in the pilot, and and the pilot's like off center, and of course it's bothering Merce, Ed Mercer, right? It's bothering Captain, you know, the captain, and he's just like, hey, could you, you know? And they're trying to shout insults at <laughs> each other, and just like, hang on, hang on, could you just like take one step to your left and the, and the guy's like the hell why would i do that but he does it and he's like okay thank you like i feel, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I feel there, so much a lot better of, now a lot of negative yeah. space there yeah, yeah there's just a lot of negative space with it <laughs> uh-huh. and it's you know and it's fun because they don't do that every time you know like yeah it's just it's just you know because that would be stupid but like it's kind of amusing to just throw in this like deconstruction of this you know kind of trope of like trek stuff mm-hmm. just once you know they just throw it in there for fun and yep. I, that's one of those things that i think people who are sort of recoiled that oh no it's like it's going to be this like comedy thing is like that's fun like they're not and they're not doing it to be mean like let's be real that's actually like a thing that doesn't really make sense when you think about yeah like it, if right? that technology existed in practice in real life that's what would happen Sure. Right. People would be so, like slightly off screen. So, it's like when you Skype it, your grandma and they pick up the phone yeah. and you see their forehead. Yeah. <laughs> right. And little, so, you know, old it's funny. Facebook there for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's funny. They, 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 they worked it in just like a little two second thing. They worked it in, then they moved on with their plot and it, it was great. You know, like it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I really liked that. That humor has really. Yeah. That humor I think is, is more interesting than some of the, kind of bro stuff they got into oh, okay bro let's do some dumb stuff you know that kind of worked in there yeah and i i never particularly hated it but i will say that we have some a fellow trek movie staffers who still even on a rewatch couldn't quite get into the orville and that was one of the reasons why oh, it was cited it, it was cited it's because it's too broy, and i get that that like it's a lot of you know, it's a lot of, hey, dude, let, let's go do this. All right, bro, let's, like, drink some beers. Okay, you know, there's a, there's a mm-hmm. little bit of that that maybe for some people is off-putting. Yeah. It's also just very much like Seth MacFarlane's style. Okay. So there, so there you go. Can, you can I tell you that my favorite gag that Seth MacFarlane uses is inserting very normal names into un- – Excuse me. Exuding very normal human names into unusual situations. For <laughs> yeah. example, sure. that's actually pretty funny. Yeah. When Gordon is fighting the orc in the holodeck, when you first meet him, the orc's yep. name is Justin. Oh. 
Justin, that's and right. He's like, hey, how's it going? It's hey, like, Justin. It's, yeah. He's not Go- Gothmog the Avenger or whatever. It's Justin. Yeah. It's Justin. We're like yes. in, the, in the episode Krill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when they go over, they they pretend to be curl soldiers. They go over to the ship, and they are even joking, like not. Jo- they're even saying on the way there, like, well, "Oh, if they yeah, halfway names. there, halfway there, they realize they don't know a thing about curl names." And yeah. they're like shit. So then they name themselves yeah. Chris and Devin. Chris. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so and it's and funny because they keep using it throughout the show, and they keep know, using it. The curl are talking about themselves, yeah. yeah, and they're like, "I don't trust these new people," and the the captains, the curl captains, like. Chris and Devin? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, then they do the obligatory, those are kind of weird names, but right. then they just kind of move on, you know, like, all sure. right. Because <laughs> that episode requires, you know, that plot line requires a little bit of suspension of disbelief just to make the joke work. And that's okay. Like, I don't have a problem with that. It but was funny. any you know? name they would have chosen, since they don't know Krill names, any name they would right. have chosen would have sounded stupid. Would have been probably. ridiculous, right. Sure. So they yeah. might as well choose Chris and Devin. Right. You might as well to make the joke work. Yeah. yeah. So the the first time I remember noticing that Seth MacFarlane did this was in the uh, the Star Wars spoof he did like eleven years ago, where it's the scene where the droids have shot out from the Rebel court cruiser and they're headed toward Tatooine, and it cuts to the two Imperial gunners, and they're like, "Oh, should we shoot it? Uh, oh, there's no life signs on it," and that's what it says in Star Wars. But then in the Family Guy one, he says, "Oh, what do we charge by the laser now?" And the other guy says, you don't do the budget, Terry. I do. And just <laughs> that's right. yeah, putting that's the name Terry in there makes it so much funnier. It does. Yeah. Because it makes it, it feel it totally more is. human and Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So one thing I, I do, that I want to talk about, sort of returning more to the, the character of Ed Mercer, is have you guys watched the show Red Dwarf? Is that something that's that's on your radar? No, I just know of Not it. Really. But I okay. Watched it. Yeah, I know of it. It's, it's so the the two main characters of Red Dwarf are like the very bottom ranked members of the crew. They're the only ones who mm-hmm. survive, and mm-hmm. so it's it's entirely comedy. It's entirely these two fools, and it's following their misadventures as they try to survive when more capable people would be able to take care of stuff immediately. So, so does does what do we want to see from Ed in terms of balancing the comedy and more serious sci fi show? Uh, sci-fi storytelling do we want to see more of a fool like the guys on red dwarf or do we want to see someone who's more accomplished well i think you know ed's gone back and forth on that i actually think there's a really good uh, arc with ed um that's part of the episode new dimensions where they encounter like a flat land a two oh yeah i like that one yeah, um, yeah, yeah which is which is a really great which is a really interesting intriguing like idea anyway for an episode mm-hmm. but also worked into yep. it as one of the b plots is that Ed realizes that, um, you know, Kelly, who's a distinguished officer and whose dad is a distinguished officer, her name carries weight and she put in a good word for him to get his command. Sure. And of course, that's one of those things that like, well, you know, what does that do for you? He's, you know, he's not the greatest captain. Like he's pretty decent, right? Mm-hmm. But like, you know, and so it's it's an interesting arc about his own pride and the fact that, Maybe he needed her, uh, you know, her endorsement to get there. And, you know, maybe he did or, or did he, you know, and like a lot of doubt about that. And I think that's really cool because that's, again, the kind of thing where you go, okay, this isn't just like the, you know, exemplary person that, you know, you, you sort of are used to seeing as like a captain. Sure. Know? 
Like, mm-hmm. and I think that's great. And I think that's fine to have those sorts of like foibles because <clears throat> that's this kind of show. This show is, this show is supposed to have some foibles and some like, you know, humor in things. Although that's not humorous in that sense. This is, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of soul searching for him in the middle of it all. Well, I think but, it makes him relatable. And I yeah, think definitely. it yes, gives absolutely. it gives him the opportunity to have like a, a, a series long arc because, you know, when, when Jared's saying, what do you want to see more of like the fool or more of an accomplished person? I think we want to see someone that's sort of in the middle who but yep. then who has potential to grow um, at the, you know, each season as time goes on and, and actually start to take things a little bit more seriously and maybe start to realize some of his potential. Because I feel like he's his character is supposed to be like the everyday guy with a heart of gold. Sure. You know, yeah. who has mm-hmm. good intentions and can make good decisions, but he's also kind of goofy and he also makes some bad decisions sometimes and he's a little awkward and yeah. you know, very relatable. Yeah. 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 And, and he's not even probably the smartest person in the room. Oh, like, not at all. No. Yeah. And know, it's okay. I, yeah. Yeah. Because like typically in Star Trek shows, like the captain is always, maybe not always the smartest person in the room, but definitely the one in the most control of the situation. Sure. And Ed is not always. In no, the, no. Right. The smartest person or the one totally in control. Yeah. Of the and, and he'll, and he freely admits he's not the smartest person. Right. You know. Right. And yeah. at, the, at right. the same token, though, I think he's a good leader. So even if he's not necessarily the smartest person in the room or the most accomplished, he knows like where to put people and how to make decisions when they sure, need to be yeah. made. Sure, yeah. And people definitely mm-hmm. want to follow him. Like mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's he's like a charismatic person, and like people want to, you know, be led by him. So that's important. A relationship that I want to see more of is the Doctor Finn character. Uh, so the one played by by Deep Space Nine alum Penny Johnson Gerald. I mm-hmm. want to yeah. see her mentor him a little bit more. Because mm. in the, in that opening scene where he's meeting his senior crew, she he says, "Oh, your resume is so incredible. Why are you on this ship? You could have been on a on a heavy cruiser mm-hmm. or whatever." She says, "I like to go where I'm needed," and I think that was kind of her way of saying, I, "I'm I'm babysitting you a little bit, right?" And so, yep. and there and there's yep. a couple scenes where we see Doctor Finn. She kind of mentors uh, Alara, I think. But I, oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I want to see more of that relationship with her and, and Ed. And that's something that's been in Star Trek since the, the cage. Yeah. Is that right. The, that's a classic the, dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Is that the, the medical officer sort of transcends rank and is a, 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 can be yeah. a, a counselor to the, to what the, the devil are you putting in there? Ice. Yeah. Sometimes, you know? <laughs> uh, sometimes a, a captain will tell things to his bartender. He'd never, never tell his doctor. doctor. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, it's a great thing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, everybody really likes, uh, Penny, like she's uh, a charismatic and like fun person from what everything I've read, and they want and they want to give her more material. So I'm quite certain they'll use her, you know, even more in season two. Are are there are there any of the other main crew that we wanted to talk a little bit about? Do we do we want to talk about Kelly? What do we think of her? She was she uh, was Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, well, in, yeah, in a, yeah. In a project she was on Friday Night Lights that men never made it to air, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. She's, she's, in Friday she's best Night known for Friday Night Lights. Oh, I yeah. never saw that. I never watched that. Yeah, no, I think she's. Great. I like her. Yeah, I think yeah, she's I like great. the character, and I like the dynamic between her and Ed. Me too. I, I do. Think it, it, I think it works really well. It works really yeah. well. I have to say, to sort of to circle back to Ed in in a in a like related way, I was also really glad when they finally kind of had Ed stop bitching about them and being divorced. Like that was a that was a crutch that they had in the yeah, first few I episodes. Agree. And like yep. it, and it got old fast and and, and yeah, you know I think they realized that 
And like I say, of course, you write about four scripts, like usually four or so scripts ahead of time to sort of get going with, the, you know, with the production. And I think, you know, they caught on real quick that that kind of shtick really runs out. You know, it just doesn't work um, yeah. after a while. And so I was really glad that they just sort of moved on and, you know, are behaving like professionals. For the I, most part. I, I did think they used that that dynamic between the two really well in the episode with Sharice uh, Theron, and I can never say her name correctly. Pr- the, oh, and Priya. Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah. I, I thought I thought that worked really well. Where yeah, there was the confusion of is she suspicious of this suspicious character or is she jealous mm-hmm. of this beautiful woman? Yeah. Right, right. right. Yep. So, so and, that I, and I thought they did a really a good job lesson. of that. Yeah, and he What's learns that? a good lesson. He learns a hard lesson there, which is she was actually really just being a good first officer. Yeah, and truly that's was right. yep. being yeah. suspicious for a, a just good doing reason. her job. Yeah, and so he learned something from that and really started to yep. trust her at that point, like moving forward. It, it kind of moves into this mature, matured relationship. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. By, especially by the end of the season, when which we can, we can get to when we talk about the episode. Sure, but where they kind of renew their relationship and realize that. Yep. Complicate. It's it's like they're smart, mature adults and realize it what? doesn't work. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that bucks the sitcom trend that people yeah. are, were sort of worried would happen is they actually behave like mature adults and go, no, this is actually a terrible idea, especially yeah. because we're both, we're in lead, you know, leadership roles on this ship. It's a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. So instead of mm-hmm. continuing it or trying to like make it work secretly or some, you know, really boring you know, cliche uh, sitcom thing. They did not do that because after all, this is not a sitcom, you know, but people, again, this is the things that people kind of worried about when they heard the Seth MacFarlane name early on is, is just went, Oh, where is this going to go? You know, how, and it didn't go there, mm-hmm. which is great. But uh, the cast overall, I think is good. I don't think there's really a weak link amongst them. Yeah. I, no, uh, I don't think so. I, my favorite character is Gordon, and I think that's just because he's the one who gets most of the jokes, and so that mm-hmm. appeals to me. Um, yep. I I also like Alara. I like I like Bortus. Um, I uh, I like the Norm Macdonald um, sludge character. Yeah. Yeah. Yafit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a love hate relationship with that character. Oh, tell me, tell me. Oh, I don't know. Like the scenes between him and Penny. Like yeah. are oh, kind of funny, but they're also with her. kind of with, like yeah, up- yeah. His, his harassment of of Claire kind of pushes it after a while. Yeah, like if I, that I were agree. if like if like I saw that happening between two real people that like I worked with or something, I would be like, dude, you need to stop. This is not okay. Right. Like it actually. And it, it, I know I get it. It's a joke, but it like. I don't know. In this day and age, well, it goes a little far. Like, like, like the "I hate my wife" or divorce thing. It really push. It really just gets bare at a certain run, sort of threadbare. And it's just like, okay, that's enough, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, that's enough. Like, we get it. And well, and she and plays then, off his like sexual advances as just like, oh, you know, sort of like it's like a boys will be boys thing. And it's like, well, yeah, no, she threatens to report him. She does she at one to report point. That's him, like true. once, like once, but. It continues, yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I think one difference is the fact that she's older and in a position of authority is a little different than if you were hitting on oh, uh, yeah. Alara. I mean, that's the thing. Like she that's she's true. a member of like the senior staff, so she could sure. bust him real yeah. really hard if she wanted to, you know. And it's entirely possible she doesn't take it that seriously because he is, after all, a blob. Not a human, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
But that's racist, man. You should take, you know, okay. you should take them seriously. <laughs> and and I, hey, I, hey, one, some, I, have, I have two good friends that are blobs. All right, you know. <laughs> a, I, Seth has a great joke about that worked in there. I actually just butchered it, but it was really funny. I do love the episode where he get where where the Norm Macdonald character. I, um, Yafit, Yafit, he gets passed over for the promotion, and his that's immediate actually, yeah. that's what I'm his immediate to reaction right is, "Oh man, this is racist! You're just not hiring me. You're just not promoting me because I'm a blob." Yep, that's what I'm alluding to. <laughs> yeah. There's that whole thing. I actually, yeah, I liked that storyline. Oh no, that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, that that kind of well, if, if we're uh, that actually kind of brings me to a character that we haven't talked about, and one that I found uh, kind of fun, and eventually sort of developed into someone even more interesting was um john lamar who is usually getting in to trouble with oh sure with gordon up yeah. front and then they start to realize like huh he's got a he's actually like a super smart dude but just yep. chose not to go be really ambitious and like push you know push and hard challenge himself on yeah. his career and i thought that was a really interesting twist only because well so to go back to like the whole Star Trek, this isn't Star Trek, this is an homage. Here's an interesting twist. You know, here's an interesting way to work on it. We see people like Wesley Crusher who like, he's dying to prove himself, right? Like he's, he's, you know, wants to prove himself. Well, here's the inverse of that. A guy who's mm-hmm. just as smart as say a Wesley type. Who sure. doesn't give a shit. He's yeah. just hanging out, right? Mm-hmm. He's cool. Like being a lieutenant, you know, and hanging out and you know being the helmsman or whatever and and, and being that's able to okay drink, to him. being able to drink soda at work that's his number right. one priority i know that that's right i love that where he's like hey you know the last captain let us drink soda on the bridge is that okay you know that's that <laughs> i mean and so but he's actually not a slacker per se like that's just sort of where he is like that's just where he wanted to be right mm-hmm. like that's where he wants to be um I mean, they do end up pushing him, and for the better, you know, they nudge him in a direction to really use his talents. Sure. And I think that's great, too. Um, and, and I think that episode is really kind of nice, because like you said, it puts him up against Yafit, and like, you know, he's this underdog, basically, of like, well, Yafit's the next in line, so why would this guy, you know, suddenly be up for the same job sure. of chief engineer? And... Anyway, he's just an interesting character, and I think uh, Jay Lee, who plays him, is kind of a cool guy, and he actually has a really cool history of, like, working, you know, he has a cool history of, like, working for Seth MacFarlane, but I mean, like, as a front office, like, assistant, that's how driven he was to get into the industry. Oh, like, interesting. He's he's a guy who, like, took the memos and stuff for, like, Seth's production company, and eventually got people to notice that he's a funny dude and like maybe they should use him you know like so there's kind of a cool Mm -hmm. like sort of nugget of that too and so i think i think maybe that all plays into his character too right because they sort of did that that here he is just hanging out eventually somebody kind of looks at him uses him yeah that's. i don't know i don't know if it's actually inspired by real life but that actually is true like of his life that's so cool Cool. yeah so what you're saying is hollywood is a town where dreams still come true you have to try really hard and take a lot of memos and get a lot of coffee, but maybe, (laughs) maybe so. Yeah. Um, So I think that's, I think it's a really cool uh, character because again, we get this, we get this again, it's this every person, right? This kind of every man, like person, but actually, you know, he's a fairly talented, smart guy that you may not have thought about. 
I, I also love the scene where he's he's nervous about being in charge for the first time, and so he yes. like gives everyone jelly beans or something. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like Gum his yeah. he, he needs a he needs a breaking the ice uh, sort of activity, and that's what he comes mm-hmm. up with. I thought I thought that scene was cute, and I liked it because of course it doesn't work at all. Nobody understands why he's doing it. They just don't like you know they're not happy. It doesn't work. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. he, well, and then of course Yafit is so angry he's undermining him, which is what which is un- yeah. We, you know, that's a very relatable thing to have happen is is to be in charge and have people not be on board with that. Not not every time you get uh, put in charge of someone who may have more experience with you, are they going to react like that one blue shirt in that episode where Riker puts Wesley in charge of a team? Yes. Like, Wesley is I, really nervous. I thought of that immediately. With this. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the guy's, Wesley's like, oh, I'm so nervous. And, he's like, and Riker's like, just be in charge. And then he's in charge. And the guy's like, okay, Wes, you're in charge. And it's like... Wait, no, that was too easy. It was too mm-hmm. antiseptic. So let's see. There's one character I kind of don't care about at all. That I, I, the I don't, android I, character. Yes. Me too. Yes. Oh, I, I, I like him. He's my I, least okay. favorite like character. Yeah, I feel like he's huh. unnecessary. I agree. But, interesting. So, so um, I'd be delighted to hear from That's those interesting. who, who well, feel he's, otherwise. He's our outsider, you know, of the group. Yeah, he's Data. He's Spock. Yeah. And I think um, I, what I like is actually is, is that, yeah, I, I can see why like people may not find him very likable, at least initially. I think the episode that really, really humanizes him, for lack of a better term, is one we haven't talked about that was sort of in the middle of the season called Into the Fold, where um, Dr. Finn sets out on a family vacation with her kiddos mm. and the shuttle crashes and it's she went with Isaac. And so the only people that can help her kids because they're separated survive as Isaac mm. and Isaac I think learns a hell of a lot about what it means to be a parent from that and you know they they end up with a lot they end up with a better respect for each other after it and I think there's a lot of good you know outsider perspective like especially because like he you know his his race of you know cybernetic beings thinks well, basically that organisms, you know, that reproduce are gross, right? He thinks they're mm-hmm. lower life forms. And so he just can't even really fathom, you know, how you handle these children, you know. And it actually ends up being pretty sweet. And the kids really actually start to take to him. You know, they actually like Isaac. They ask for him later. And I think that's really nice. And I know that they're going to do some more with the Isaac and Claire's relationship. Hmm. In the second season. Okay. That's something to look forward to. Yeah. Brian, what do you think about Isaac? I can't really say much more than what Matt said. I, I, I liked that episode, too, because it humanized him and let, like, made the crew realize that he's more than just a machine. Sure. And, you know, there's obviously a certain amount of humor to be mined from the fact that he takes everything literally just like Data used to at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I like mean, there's when, that like whole when he episode. Chops Gordon's leg off. Yeah, when they're trying to do yeah. practical jokes, and he takes it incredibly too far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I I have no problem with the character. Oh, okay. I don't have, there's not really any character on the show I have any any problem with. I, I like all of them. They're yeah. mostly very likable. It definitely the thing that I feel bad is is just how fun it would be to step through the screen and be on that ship, right? Like yeah. The, oh yeah, it looks the little like part a lot of, fun. of of me that's still a twelve years old boy that wanted to be on the Enterprise D, like that little part of me gets gets uh, worked when I watch this show. If I can say that, yeah, that way. Mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's ex- I think yeah, that's, yeah, it is. I think that's exactly Seth's intention. And he I think that's exactly his it. intention. Yeah. yeah, I think that's he wanted for himself in this show, and you know it shows. You know, right? Yep. So 
I also say that uh, we haven't talked about this too much, but I think it's also really another interesting episode is that just to quickly touch on is um, our that focuses on uh, Bordis is the one about that they um, we figure out that they of course are like a single sex species at least in theory and mm. they reproduce of course by laying eggs because how else would a you know basically asexual group you know reproduce right and so yeah um, agendered yeah agendered yeah and so well they he has an egg and that's kind of amusing but the more interesting part is of course that they're supposed to have all uh male uh sex i guess you could say because it's physical traits too in theory mm-hmm, that whole planet is all male sure um and then of course they get a female which is supposed to be incredibly rare and there's a huge debate about that, which I thought was always just, you know, that's really going back to that social, you know, mm-hmm. social um, commentary kind of thing is, is a really interesting point of view about that. And of course, you know, on the ship, they go, why would you ever do that? Like, why would you decide, pre-decide for this baby to convert them, you know, from female to male? Why would you do that? You know, what's the point of that? And it raises a lot of good questions. And it also mm. does some good stuff where it, it, it puts a strain on Bordis's relationship with Clyden, his mate, and they're actually strained, and it, it's actually kind of interesting, and you know raises some good points. talks talks about it in one of those sort of lovely metaphorical ways because this is about single gendered aliens, right? You know, mm-hmm. so see my my reaction to that episode is I think it would have been better to save it for the second season when they built up the characters and a little bit more of our knowledge of the species first because it kind of felt like a, like a, a mock time like the first time we go to Vulcan and that wasn't till the second season of TOS yeah. and we'd seen the That's... character a little bit more so yeah. I, I I felt they I should that. have eased into that a little bit especially with yeah. the uh, and I can't remember her name the uh, like the poet or the philosopher who is in hiding mm-hmm. I thought it would have been better Auckland, to yeah exactly to have a few episodes where we hear him like just share wisdom from her in abstract so oh, I see what you mean. So when like, oh, we right. oh it's a woman so, yeah, yeah so that's see, built see up too yeah and that's oh, not I agree with that. that's not a huge criticism i just think they were they were trying to um they wanted to run out of the starting gate when they maybe needed to trot a little bit first they did, and I'm and I'm I'm quite certain this was put in the third position because they gave critics the screeners of the first three. Okay. And so they wanted to be sure that they saw this, you know, theme, yeah. you know, allegory episode sure. so people would, mm. you know, mm. get it. Okay. I didn't feel this episode paid off properly. It's set up really well. Yeah. Uh, w- one of the things about the payoff is that there is an intended sequel that was but was moved from the first season to the second season. So there's actually repercussions from this. Oh, interesting. It. Oh, okay. Maybe it'll end up giving it more weight. I, I then hope so. Because, I hope so. Because like, I feel like, yeah, there is definitely some good think- discussions to be had about obviously changing, making a decision about changing this child's sexuality without the child having any say. Mm-hmm. There's also a discussion to be about one species enforcing its right uh-huh. norms yeah. on another one yeah. like, there's like all sorts of, and it, it was going that way the first like 20 minutes of that episode are oh, like, really good, really good. Yeah. yeah which is what and a moral dilemma just, should be right a dilemma right. means yeah. there are two alternatives and neither of them are or the are, right are, one are, exactly exactly right. anyway sorry i cut you off friend and then like you know it's revealed that clyden had the operation as a child and then once you hear that it's like oh that means there's a lot of other there's a lot of other 
women around. I mean, it, it, it to me like that, that just set up the fact that we were going to learn that there were others, right? Like it just like it like the courtroom sequence felt like more of a farce than anything. Like like they didn't know what kind of tone to take with that, and like there's a really there was a really good discussion to be had in that episode, and I don't think they had it. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I well, think I, I, they were playing yeah. with it, and I think they didn't do a terrible job. But yeah, I agree. There probably parts of it like could have been better. There could have been like some kind of impassioned speech given that lays out you know both the arguments and the morality of each side um although i like that they didn't rule in favor of like sort of the humanistic viewpoint at the end they're like okay we're gonna rule that you're allowed to change the gender just like we've always done yeah because there's a part there's a there's like a part of i feel i feel like the viewer is more biased to want them to to not allow the the Yes, absolutely. Right, right, because that's the human. Right, idea. even though right. like we're fighting, like I'm watching this fighting my own instincts, saying like, don't impose your beliefs on this other culture. Like, you know, trying trying as much as possible to respect the other culture, and also they make some good arguments too against like they bring up human circumcision and some other things like that. Although, like, well, the fact that that she would be considered a, a total pariah, right? So, what kind of life is that? Is their sort of main point? Yeah, right, yeah. That they bring up a lot. Is yeah. Yeah, and that's a fair point. Although I thought it was interesting that they brought up circumcision because, um, yeah, you know, I, I could actually see that, very, like, I could very easily see that um, not existing anymore by that time in humans' future. Yeah, he, and, they, and you'll note that they sort of skirt around that and just say, well, there are some, like, some, they don't even say who, right? They just say there's some, you know, cultures in in the Union that may do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, oh, I can imagine Oh, true, that. okay, sure. So, yeah, they, they don't really say who does it anymore. Maybe a lot of people on Earth don't anyway. You know, they don't even really go that's there. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I oh, forgot it happens. about that. It's, you know. But kudos to them for tackling the topic. Kudos exactly. to them. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, yeah. I think it's it's a tough topic. I and mean, obviously, like we said, maybe it wasn't perfect. It's but like, it but wasn't bad It either. was like really, really good, good job of like, you know, good first season. They, definitely. Know, they, they, definitely. They, didn't, they didn't botch anything. No, <laughs> no, no. I thought no. it was great, and it was interesting, which, and it's gotten us talking here about the ethics of it, yeah. which is the point. Let's let's go look at the mm-hmm. third episode of TNG. Say if they, see if they botched that. <laughs> oh, it's not a <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the episode I need to talk about my favorite is the one just simply called Krill, and and I've mm-hmm. shared my yep. opinion with with it's you great. guys about this before, but I, I think this did a magnificent job of of telling a like compact good one hour sci-fi adventure story while also putting out the right amount of like moralizing the and mm-hmm. also including a great amount of humor right and this mm-hmm. this is the one with the where the Chris and Devin go on board the krill ship and the assignment they get is they say we're more of a sec- we're a secular society the krill or a religious society we need to understand them better, right? So the mission here is not yeah. go shoot them. The mission here is not go uh, steal their cloaking device or whatever it is. It's just we want to try to understand them. So they get the assignment to go, yeah, to steal their bow. But not like maliciously. It's this is so we can try to negotiate a peace with them. So mm-hmm. that's great Star Trek stuff of trying to understand people who are different than you, of, of giving people the benefit of the doubt, Right. But then they get there and they realize these guys are going to blow up a colony. And so at that point, it does go from simply, you know, uh, trying to, yeah. to learn about them to we need to stop this or else our con- our countrymen and women will get blown up. Right. And then yep, the right. twist on that, that. And this is what I think works so well is they have the moral dilemma. 
we don't want to blow this up because there are kids on board, right? And the kids are innocent. And so that's a good moral dilemma to me. Like something I struggled with, and I said this when we reviewed the episode, I struggled with the on Discovery when the Klingons are like rampaging through the Federation and they're like, they have this debate, oh, do we have the right to blow up the Klingon homeworld? And and I, I even shared that that line that Captain Sisko says in one episode, in the choice between them and us, there is no choice, right? So I didn't see that as a, as a particularly um, dynamic moral dilemma, but this is, because Captain Mercer doesn't want to blow up little, little boys and girls, right? So... This episode did so much so well in one nice little episode. I was really impressed with it. So this was easily my favorite episode of the season. Yeah, and I like that he saves the kids, and then they, of course, take um, their uh, female caretaker and teacher, Talea, into custody. And, you know, he, you know, goes, look, we saved them, their kids. You know, isn't that great? And she just looks at him Mm -hmm. and says, why did you even bother, you know, saving them? Because oh, sure. in her mind, she's like, yeah, this was actually really stupid of you. And he says, oh, they're, you know, they're kids. Their whole lives ahead of them, they're not my enemies. And she just turns and she looks at him and she goes, well, after what they saw you di- do today, they will be. Yeah. And so, and it's a good kind of reversal of like, look, you're, you're backpatting yourself for making a decision, which really does seem to be the best decision you can make in this bad situation. But yeah. like, it also isn't this perfect, it's not perfectly clean. Yeah, no, you know, those there's, kids there's, are scarred for life. Right. And, and, yeah. and so, you know, you had no, there's no perfect choice and there are consequences to this, which is like these kids will now will now have been like sort of seeing the tyranny of what humans do like firsthand. Sure. You right. know? Yeah. No easy answer. There's no, yeah. easy, no easy answer. answer. Exactly. And, and, which I think and is this great. goes back to an episode Jared and I like to cite a lot, uh, Private Little War, which yeah. Oh, yeah. doesn't yeah. really doesn't really give a clear definitive nope. Yeah, because you can't. I mean, because there's you can't there's no writing off into the sunset in a right? private little war. Yeah, right. There's no right or wrong there. It's, yeah, it's just is. It's just, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it really is. unfortunate, but it just is. Yeah, yeah. But I liked that they did this on this show on a show that's supposed to be a bit lighter in tone. And the Orville actually has a few episodes that kind of end on a bit of a downer. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And the funny part is, is woven into all of this is. The fact that Gordon and Ed are totally bluffing their way through trying to make life, you know, work on a krill ship. And it's hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, it's basically them. Uh, I think um, this was, I think this one was written by David A. Goodman, right? Who was, among other things, a comedy writer for Family Guy. He also wrote for mm-hmm. Star Trek Enterprise. And yep. he... Written a couple of Star Trek books. Yeah. So he knows his stuff, like, sort of on both sides of the fence. And I think it shows that he knows his comedy. Mm. He knows his sort of sci-fi and I think it was a lot of fun. And he, you know, and it's like, uh, he, you know, he kind of likened it to like an old, you know, one of those kind of old buddy comedies. Because that's what it is. It starts out of them yeah. kind of being goofy, right? Like, they're just like, ah, we'll use holographic projectors. We'll fake our way through it. It'll be fine. And boy, does it become not fine. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's not, and it's not because they're found out. It's not fine because they have this huge dilemma about what to do about that giant nuke, basically, that they found yeah. on board. Mm-hmm. so it's good it, it kind of defies the expectations of oh sure their hologram thing should fail and then they'll get caught and whoop you know and then, then oh how will they get of it now instead it's like now nah, they actually got away with that well until the very end they got away with it the whole time and they have a much more serious problem right that's a good you know, point to deal with it, yeah good it, writing. It, it has those mm-hmm. uh those mm-hmm. not just that one twist but the two twists which uh yeah re- really works well and particularly works well and 
with the idea of, and I kind of forget about this at this point, with a, an hour-long drama with commercial breaks. Because on those yeah. commercial breaks, you need to hit like some kind of a cliffhanger of some kind, right? Right. And, and it it did that twice, right? Right within the beats that it needed to. So very skillful mm-hmm. writing. This writing is as skillful as Gordon's piloting. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know he's the best pilot in the union so of course he is see yeah. okay the thing that i think would be funnier is though if he, they said he was the second best pilot in the union right? <laughs> and so that's that's always hanging over his and, head and just never mentioned just the never yeah. never yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of like what they did with julian where his cover story was that he was the uh, salutatorian rather than the valedictorian Maybe, oh right, and that bothered him to no end. That's right. Well, but yeah. but then it came out that it was his way of concealing his genetic enhancement. Anyway, we uh, that's sure not relevant. Um, sure. Okay, what other what other episodes? I know you guys like the uh, mad idolatry episode. Do, are there any others you want to drill in before? Do we well, like before, the, before do we, we like the majority, the majority rule episode? Oh, yeah, like I want to definitely shout out yeah, at least just okay. a shout out to majority yeah. rule because it's yeah. Right. Looking back, bef- it's very relevant to our time. Before I did my rewatch and like remembered some of the really the other really good episodes, like in my head that had been my favorite episode of the season. Oh, okay, good. So that one just I think it really stuck out to me, and it, I think it was also the first one that I thought was really really excellent because it was earlier in the season, wasn't it? I think it's no, no. It's, this is part of the last. It's episode yeah, seven. It's in, the last batch. It, oh, it's in seven. their last. It's okay. in their second half. Yeah, basically this whole second half, they're on point. Yeah. This is the sort of turn. Yeah, maybe that's why. Yes, it was because it was part of like it's, this. It's from Krill, it's, which is episode six on, uh, they really hit it. Yeah, I remember thinking by the time I got to this episode, I was like, wow, okay, they like I'm really, really enjoying this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's obviously a very thinly veiled allegory, but it's very effective. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, um, oh, it's not even, I, it's I not like even thinly they, veiled, Brian. I mean, not this, even veiled. this episode <laughs> is as heavy handed yeah. as an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. Isn't there yeah. A, no. a, like equivalent episode yeah. of Black Mirror? Th- yes. There, there is. There, there, are there, two, is. there are two Black Mirror episodes that are sort of related to this, you could say. So. Yeah. But I, I think it, this episode is now even more relevant than it was when it was broadcast. I agree. Uh, yeah. It's amazing what a difference even just a year has made, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe that the damage that social media is doing to the fabric of society yep. is, is the story of our time. Yeah, it is. It is for sure. It is the reason we have all sorts of things going on. Well, and you know, China has implemented the social score. Oh now. yeah. So and, and that is, that is real. a black that's mirror episode. Science, which is that's right not there. science yeah. fiction. That's actually yeah. happening. Yeah. Which is exactly what happened to the black. Yeah. Black mirror episode and this episode. And like, yeah. I think people's yeah. ranking it. Yeah. It yeah. works because when you watch an episode like this, like whether it's the Orville or the black mirror episodes, it feels so like they've taken this idea and just blown it way, you know, beyond where you think it could ever get to. Like, you, you know, they make it so extreme and then you go, wait, no, this is literally wait, happening is like, in China right now. This is what's happening. Like exactly what's happening from, yeah. in China right now. So, yeah. It's not actually very extreme. It's reality, and that's what's kind of freaky because it's like you want it to you want it to be an extreme representation, but it's not. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I hope that they continue in in the upcoming season to tackle current issues. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yes, this one was, for sure. Was fantastic. I like I like that John. You know, Lamar. He asks for a lawyer, and they just go, "I don't even I don't know that word." They just, <laughs> they just look at him. 
and he goes and he goes well isn't that what you are and he goes no i'm your publicity officer and that ah, says i mean i mean yeah. that says it all right there right there's yeah. no there's no due process of law there's there's public you know public opinion right yeah it's public execution yep. yeah 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 that's freaky i i need i need i need to rewatch that i didn't watch that that one's my... worth a rewatch yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it's is. worth a rewatch john what one i did rewatch if i can touch on it quickly is the firestorm yeah. one which that is one's the great Alara heavy episode i it's loved that one centric. that really was good. so much yeah, fun um, yeah. And the part, the part, of course, that we have to give a shout out to is that Robert Picardo is her dad. So hopefully yep. mm-hmm. we get to see him come back more than once. And then I think he's coming he's back. back at least once. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Uh, and then her mother is played by Molly and actually Molly Hagan, who actually yep. is Who's... the first Vorta we ever met on Deep Space Nine. Oh, right. no way. And she is. Yeah. She is all over 90s and early 2000s TV. You will see this woman like everywhere. It's it's crazy how much hmm. she appears as a guest star and stuff. Um, just real quick, I don't know if we've mentioned all. Well, not that we can mention all of them, but the major Star Trek connections. Like, I think it'd be worth just like rattling off some sure, of them for some sure. people might not realize. Yeah, we probably should. Yeah, we're taking what? it sort of for granted, so I guess we should say it. Yeah, like, Matt, do you want to name some of them? I know oh, you sure. Have, like a list going. <laughs> um, off the top of my head. Well, so, of course, one of the producers is Brandon Braga. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have um, Andre Barmanas, who was a writer and science consultant on a lot of the later Berman era shows as a writer on the show. Uh, we mentioned David A. Goodman's name. He was a comedy writer prim- uh, primarily, but also um, for sort of something different. Uh, Braga actually reached out to him back when in season three of Enterprise and brought him on board to bring a different flavor so he's he's also probably most famous for writing the futurama episode that's a huge love letter to tos oh wow the um, where no fan has gone before where yes no fan has gone that's before. david a yep. goodman's episode so oh, again cool. he's got chops he's got chops sort of on both sides of the street you know the trek side and the comedy side um so there's a lot of really good like talent of like yeah these people you know have executed stuff that we all sort of trust and like um mm. i may be forgetting who else is sort of behind the scenes as far as well i mean so i think I we mentioned jonathan directors but, is directed and so yeah so directors jonathan frakes Robbie has Duncan come back McNeil. and they've directed they've each directed an episode out of both the first and the upcoming second season so there's a lot of connection there james conway oh yeah right um james conway who again uh oh and um they and Seth purposely sought out the cinematographer from the TNG era. Mm-hmm. Really? Oh, I hadn't Rush. heard that. I can't think of his yeah. name. Yeah. And I'm cool. Marvin Rush. Thank you, Marvin Rush. That's one of the reasons, because again, he that's why he, he wants that TNG look. So he literally went and got the DP that shot right. the later TNG seasons and said, I want to hire you. So, I mean, if it feels like TNG visually, beyond the sets, like that's why mm-hmm. Marvin Rush is, is doing it. And there are some of the composers from TNG are on the show, which is why it sounds very Berman era uh-huh. at times. Yeah, it does. But I mean, if if when when Family Guy gets all adventury, he it's always sounded a little bit like that. Like Seth is always like that sort of thing. So a bunch of the composers he works with already kind of knew the the flavor he wanted from a bunch of sort of more action or adventure like uh, Family Guy episodes. So you can you can hear like all of that in it. Yeah. But because the Berman era stuff is like that generic sonic wallpaper, 
it's very easy to mimic. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well said. So. so there are there are if you listen there are times when I was watching the Orville where I could easily get swept up into thinking I was watching like TNG or DS9. Oh wow, because it was that similar. Just just orally. Like just yeah, it really was. It was it was distinctive by its lack of distinction. <laughs> I will say, at least so far, they are not afraid to sort of punch it up when something happens, which eventually the Berman era got even afraid of doing that, it feels oh, like. Oh, yeah. 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 Wait, and there's one episode where the influence comes from the motion picture. Matt, you were talking about it before yeah, we started yeah. recording. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Brian and I have talked about this. Brian pointed out in his review of the episode back when it was first airing, um, episode four, which we haven't really talked about because it's not all that remarkable, honestly. Like, it's an okay episode, but... It, it's not that amazing. Called If the Stars Should Appear, where they encounter a giant um, colony vessel filled with people who don't know it's a colony vessel because, you know, it appears for the world is hollow, right? Kind of thing. Where yeah. They yeah don't... It's very much derivative of for the world is hollow when yeah. they touch the sky. Um, it, yeah, it is. But and a little twist on it, but generally just kind of playing it safe there. Um, but so it's a giant ship, not unlike the giant complex you know vessel that is V'ger right mm. and so you can you can tell that probably Seth and whoever else he was kind of you know chatting with basically probably put notes for his composer that said do this basically like the V'ger music in the motion picture you know what I mean it's like mm. they and it is it's very influenced by it um, yep. maybe not for the better like maybe that's almost too much you know what I mean mm, like maybe like that's it. that's too much of a copy and not enough of an homage, but more of a copy. Yeah, um, it's, it's teeters very close. It's the one. Yeah, it's the one it's time I, th- I. Yeah, it's the one time I think they straddled the line and maybe tipped over, you know, to the other yeah. side. Um, is, yeah, it's not bad, but just like if you listen to it, you'll just go, "Oh, that's a mashup of three tracks from the motion picture soundtrack," and it really is. Yeah, it's basically. Yeah. I actually was do- looking at it earlier today, trying to pin it down. And for folks who like the, the motion picture soundtrack, which I do, I I, I love it. Um, it's basically a mashup of bits and pieces of the of floating office, the cloud, and V'ger flyover. Those are the three tracks from the motion picture soundtrack, and they basically mashed them together. And like Brian, Brian has sort of talked about um, in his review, I think even back then, and there's a little bit of Empire Strikes Back even kind of mashed yep, in there. Yep. And yep. so um, it's not bad, but it's just like, oh, okay, this is maybe too blatantly, you know, influenced. Yeah, it called it called attention to itself. Mm. It's instantly recognizable as like that music that goes on while they're investigating V'ger. I'm like, huh. oh, I know exactly where that's from, you know? Yep. Like, yep. Um, but otherwise, I think the music is fine. I think it, like like mm-hmm. Brian was saying, maybe it's a little generic at times, but I think it's all serviced fine do you, for the do you, plot. You do you know? like the intro music? The main yeah, theme? I do. Mm-hmm. I, again, I think it's hard to do something unique that isn't immediately like something else sci-fi. Sure. Right? Like, yeah. it's either too much like Trek or it's too much like, you know, whatever, right? Like some other franchise we've heard because there's only so many, you know, upbeat, um, slightly military tone things you can do, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. It, so it, I think it's fine. It kind of reminds me of the uh, the Captain America march that they did for the Marvel movies where it needed to sound kind of americana and patriotic but it couldn't sound too much like any existing song so mm. they had to like generically come up with something i feel like they yeah. did the same thing with this i also like how they use it as a leitmotif whenever they like will start an episode is like mm-hmm. setting the tone of adve- fun and adventure so my yeah. my general reaction to the theme is positive me yeah. too i like it a yeah. lot oh i like it mm-hmm. yeah i like it yeah me too they uh, they didn't take any big risks and uh and do uh um 
what's the what's the uh, faith of the heart or anything yeah. like that? <laughs> Thank God. I think he knows better than that, considering. <laughs> Can you um, imagine? Okay, the other the other the other Trek connection I felt I wanted to mention is that Brian mm-hmm. George is in the first episode, and he oh, of yeah. course played uh, Julian's father in an episode of Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and although he's more famous to most audiences because of his role in Seinfeld, but I, I like right. I like right. seeing him and and Penny Johnson there in this in the same pilot. Yeah, that 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 helped make it feel a little bit more more comfortable for me as a Niner. <laughs> Okay, so so you now you guys really like the episode Mad Idolatry, so let's let's finish with that, and and it's yeah. the and it, it's the it, last episode, so it fits it's, thematically. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's one it that was, was widely accepted as like the best yeah, of the season. It's the highest I rated mean, on IMDb. The cat and the cast and the crew even thought so. I mean, like even when they were doing it, they thought this is like a great episode. So yeah. it's hard to argue with, I have to say. Okay, uh, Brian, why don't you uh, take the con on this? Yeah, I, I thought it was a really easily the strongest episode of the season i agree with the common belief about it um it's very it's got a cool science fiction theme it just the idea of the planet phasing in and out of our Mm -hmm. timeline it's got a great story about the dangers of cultural contamination yep yes yes um and that's all wrapped up in this personal story between the two lead characters yeah. and them resuming their relationship and the complications that ensue from that. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of, it's one of those episodes that just clicks in every aspect. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't have much no, to say I, about I, it. I really, really like, just really work. Well. I really like that, that Kelly is front and center with this. Cause I feel like this is the, the yep. only episode that she is basically hers. Yeah. And she's, mm-hmm. and she seems like the most ethical or ethically minded person on the ship. So she's the one who'd be the most disturbed by this. Yeah. Yep. So it's it, it's a little more personal, and, and it's her and it's her own ethics that gets her in this position in the first place. Oh, like sure, she's that's disturbed true. Yeah, by by she she's she's startled at this little girl who, of course, gashed her head, and she can't leave her. You know, she feels she can't leave her, mm-hmm. and so that actually starts the whole problem. You know, like is this act of kindness, you know, ends up causing this problem. You know, sure. like she contaminates it, and of course, doesn't mean to at all. Obviously, Kayla, what did you think? Um, like I said before, I think this is probably the strongest episode of the season. Um, and it was nice that they finished on such a high note. I thought it was interesting that the, mm-hmm. the very end of the episode, I was kind of expecting there to be a cliffhanger. And there wasn't. Oh, interesting. It was just, And I actually really liked that. I like the more episodic nature of the Orville so mm-hmm. far. Me, me too. Me too. Um, you know, I, yeah, I like so modern I. serialized story, storytelling, but at the same time, there's something really refreshing about these self-contained episodes where you get to digest one idea um, each, you know, each week you get a new idea to think Mm -hmm. about and discuss. And I really like that aspect. So I like that here too. Um, And they, so it wasn't like I was expecting there to be a cliffhanger, like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? You have to wait so many months until next season. But I'm actually like kind of relieved that they didn't. I thought it was interesting. They end the very last scene is Kelly coming to Ed and saying, Basically, like, yeah, you, you know, both you and I know this, this isn't this us thing isn't going to work. We can't, Sorry. we can't be yeah. together. And he's like, I know, uh, you know, and that's that's the end of the season. Right. Yep. It ends very quietly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I love the restraint of a small ending. 
I right? yeah, yep. I, thought, I yeah. really really like liked absolutely. that. Ending. Like that's absolutely. And, and and I won't give any spoilers, but that's something I really enjoyed about Blade One Runner twenty forty nine is the ending was so small, right? It didn't feel compelled mm. to have them fight a huge CGI army of robots. Yeah, ugh. Which yep. would have ruined it. Ugh. Yes, it would have. Yeah. And we should just we should we should just cut the podcast right, right there. there, right there. <laughs> well, <laughs> if if I may, happy I would new, like to Happy New Year, everyone. Scene. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what were you saying, uh, uh, well, Matthew? If 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 I may, here's here's a great quote that I actually really loved about this because, of course, the the conceit of this episode is that there's a planet that for eleven days is in our universe and progresses you know, at our normal time. And then when it goes away into the other universe as a strange orbit between two universes, it, you know, accelerates rapidly. So by the time they come back into our universe, they've left ahead 700 years. Right. So Mm. I like that. Of course, one of the things that that little, you know, sci-fi idea lets them do is watch the progress of her, um, poisoning basically the society. Right. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, uh, can, you can can, see contam- contaminate, I think, is the word they use. Contaminate is the right word. But, you know, yeah. yep. but they but they feel like, you know, Kelly feels like she may have mistakenly sort of poisoned them with this idea, right? That's why I said that. But, sure. yes, it's a contamination. And I like, of course, that at the very end, they reappear and they've basically started to exceed where humans are sure. at this point. Yeah. And they show up and they, you know, they show up and they say, you know, it's really okay because we were going to assign a, a deity, you know, someone was going to make a deity, right? Like someone was going to make this symbol. It just right. happened to be you. And in the end, we're okay. We didn't like kill ourselves. You know, the crusades didn't like wipe us all out. We, mo- you know, we learned, we moved on. And they basically have um, something that sort of hits the nail on the head. I think one that, you know, Seth thinks about, his show and i also think he thinks and, and seems pretty reasonable that sort of typifies the the idea of what the tng era of star trek's sort of credo was in a way almost is she has one of the aliens tell them that you know don't worry about you know don't worry our society moved on you must have faith in reason in discovery and in the endurance of the logical mind and i think that pretty much sums up like the you know the philosophy of a lot of the 24th century the, yeah, track the, as well definitely. the line yeah. that, that yeah. reminded me of is when spock says to valeris uh, you must have faith that the universe will unfold as it is supposed to or, or I, i'm mm-hmm. butchering a yeah. little bit but that that's what mm-hmm. it took me to mm-hmm. that too yeah i I, yep. I also i like the um uh paradox it's it's very human paradox of he's espousing the importance of logic and reason while also explicitly using the word faith True. Right. <laughs> so good. I, I didn't I, catch I, I that. Like that's that. good. Yeah. Um, well, that's and that's kind of like the point of the motion picture is Viger achieves this re- all knowledge and it's not enough. He needs he needs that's something right. more. He needs he needs the the I don't know if the supernatural is the right term for it, but that that faith and reason both have a role to play. Yes, the ability to leap mm-hmm. beyond logic. I there we go. The way they that's phrase right. it. Yeah. Yep. And it's true. I mean, you can see that, that you can only, you can have so much knowledge and then you go, okay, well, now what? What do I do with all this? Yep. Yeah. You know. Why am I here? What was I meant to be? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and I also think just in terms of longstanding um, 
Star Trek tropes, the idea of just being uh, uh, hopeful in the future is something that everybody needs. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I, the, I, and we talked about this last week after the podcast, but like, uh, there's so much bad news to consume. It overwhelms the fact that so much in the world is actually very, very good right now because we have this fire hose of information that the human mind was not never supposed to have. And so just to, to have a little aphorism, to have faith in the future is, is calming to my soul and mm-hmm. my mind. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Yep. There you go. Absolutely. And we hope that this podcast could be calming to your soul and mind. There we go. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> so Orville is back in a couple of weeks. Not even a couple of weeks. Like 10 right. days. Uh, right? 12, 12 days yeah. from when we're recording this. 12 days. Uh, and uh, if you're curious, we have, a, we have a 10 things to know about the Orville season two article from earlier this month that you guys can read mm-hmm. at trekmovie.com. Uh, did you write that, Matt? Uh, uh, I had a, a large hand in it. Tony okay. and I All basically right. co-wrote then, it. Then you know what will be good, folks in the audience, if Matt had his hand <laughs> in it. Mm-hmm. So we uh, hope you enjoy it. And uh, if we enjoy it as much as we enjoyed season one, we'll probably do another one of these podcasts. For sure, yeah. And I guess yeah, we absolutely. won't uh, be doing another podcast until the new year, huh? No, I don't think so. Yeah, correct. it'll be in the new year. Which one? Then we'll yeah, come back we'll and do... we'll talk about the last short treks. Right. And, and then we'll go back.